This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook, Volume 2, and today is October 2nd, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. My name is Jim Helfgott, and I started at Hofstra in uh, August of 75 and graduated in 79. Okay. Well, welcome back, and thank you so much for doing this. It's great to talk to you. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I appreciate you doing this. I know a lot of people really enjoy listening to your, uh, your podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you for, for all the, the stuff that you do uh, with the Alumni Association in your years as, as president. And it's, uh, you've been very supportive of, of this process and, and a lot of people who, uh, who you know, put in time at Hofstra Radio. So uh, I just want to make sure I say that at the beginning here. Thank you. It's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to have people who stick with the station and the community for, for a long time. And you certainly have been uh, a huge supporter of the students and the alumni alike for a long time. Well, thanks, Brian. I, I think it's really important. I think the alumni really help uh, enhance the experience that the uh, students have at the radio station. And uh, I was glad I could be a part of it. Hmm. Uh, okay, so let's go back to your time as a student at Hofstra Radio. What positions or titles did you hold? So that so that's a long time ago. So I'll try <laughs> to remember as best I can. Um, yeah, I was the I started as the uh, remote engineer, became the the head remote engineer, if you will, uh, probably in like my second year, and uh, uh, then was uh, the executive engineer for a year before becoming uh, the station manager in my last year at Hofstra. Okay. Um, I think we all have a pretty good idea of the difference between the remote engineer job and the executive engineer job, but what do you remember about doing those jobs? Or what, what do you remember about what those jobs were at the time? So uh, the remote engineer's responsibility included uh, doing uh, uh basketball games, football games. They had football games back then, mm. um, as well as uh, concerts. Uh, we did a concert from a uh, bar that was called Bill's Meadowbrook across the street from Hofstra. It's not there anymore. They used to have uh, jazz concerts there. And also at the uh, uh, Hempstead Town Hall, they used to have uh, concerts. And uh, it was the engineering part of it. It was uh, hooking up of the equipment, the the line to the location, the uh, uh, the um, hooking up the microphones and making sure everything worked, and sending the broadcast to the uh, studio. And then the executive engineer was more of the uh, sort of overseeing who was on the air and who was operating the board. That's right, making sure that all the people that uh, were doing engineering roles or were working the board had the proper uh, documentation at the time. The uh, FCC permits required, and we used to have them all hanging up in, in the hallway of the radio station and, uh, uh, and then doing all the scheduling, uh, which was really a, a, the toughest part of the job and scheduling everybody who was going to be uh, doing the engineering. So worked closely uh, with the uh, chief engineer at that time. The perpetual saga of scheduling engineers and announcers. It's it, it, it never gets easy. It doesn't matter. Oh no, the, the that, that age was or the technology. It's always a problem. That was a that was a fun part of the job, and I figured if I could do that, I could do anything. <laughs> okay, so so you get you said your sophomore year, you're the remote operations chief. Is that something that you were hoping for? Is that something that interested you, or is that something you got roped into uh, and then figured out what it was? Well, you know, when I first my first my first exposure to the radio station, I remember was uh, going into the quad uh, during uh, freshman orientation, and the radio station was broadcasting from in the quad. So I struck up a conversation with the people working with the radio station there in the quad, doing what in fact was a remote broadcast. So sort of fell into it. Um, Got involved through that and, and uh, uh, had a great opportunity to spend time working with that group. And that's uh, basically that's how that happened. Was it something about the working with the equipment that interested you or, or was it more of the sports angle? What drew you to that job? Yeah, it wasn't so much the sports angle. I think it was more working with the equipment, uh, um, doing the announcing, uh, uh, but I think the equipment was one of the things that drew me to it at that time. 
Um, and what do you remember about that stuff? Because the, the, the range of equipment and, and the, the, the weight of it and the size of it has changed over the years. And, uh, you know, obviously today things are much different with, with computers and, and uh, more efficient equipment. But what, what do you remember about what did you have to lug around uh, to get a remote broadcast going? Yeah, it, it was there was um, uh, a lot of equipment, and I remember we had these big boxes that we used to put on uh, trolleys, and we used to wheel the trolleys around. Uh, uh, we had a, a, a two turntables at the time. You know, we were spinning turntables, and uh, uh, you'd, you'd have records. And, you know, that that was back in the seventies. So uh, just that alone was a lot, and then. Uh, of course, there was the uh, the mixers and the microphones and, you know, all the cabling. Uh, and so there, there was a lot of equipment. I remember we had these big boxes, heavy boxes that we would lug around. Uh, and, uh, you know, we would have trolleys that we would carry all the boxes around. Today, obviously, uh, a little computer, we don't ha have that much of an issue uh, mm. moving equipment around to, to do those type of broadcasts. But back then. It was it was heavy. It was a lot. It sounds like a multi multi person operation to get all the stuff where it needed to go. Well, it's certainly running cables because we you know we had to run cable. There was no you know wireless microphones back then. Everything was cabled, uh, so lots of cables, lots of uh, uh, and and so yeah, it, it it took a lot to lug it around. Every every remote engineer always had somebody who was a freshman running behind them carrying helping to carry the stuff so yeah uh, that was the best part about not being a freshman anymore is you didn't <laughs> have to carry everything so who got you roped into that who was the remote operations chief when you were learning so i i, I think he was actually the executive engineer at the time uh, tom d'agostino mm -hmm. uh was the name that i remembered in fact it took me a couple of minutes to remember who was it who was doing it at the time but i think that's who it was and uh, he got me started. And of course, I worked closely with uh, uh, Ted Ronenberger, who was the uh, chief engineer um, at the time. So I think those are two names that really uh, come to mind as people that, that got me involved in the engineering uh, side of the business. And, uh, you know, a funny thing about uh, Ted, one of the things that I remember about him is I went to visit him at the time he was working for uh, KISS FM. Hmm. And uh, uh, a friend of mine and myself were in the city uh, visiting with him at the KISS FM. You know, it was one of the great things about working in uh, Hofstra Radio is you have a lot of connection with great radio stations and TV stations in the city. And to go and visit those uh, operations and see how they work, it's really quite interesting. And uh, that day that I was visiting with him, we're driving back from new york and that was the day that elvis died so wow. we're, on, we're driving back listening to kiss fm and on the on the radio comes the announcement that elvis had had died so that's so, that's why i'll always remember that day yeah where were you when when the news broke you must have been shocked that's that was it was a big i mean he had health problems but when when he died that was i'm sure it, it shook the world well, it's a big. It was a big deal. It yeah. it's cl clearly was a big deal, and it's just something that you know. There are days, things that you remember, you know, and that was one of those moments that mm -hmm. I remember, and it just tied together with uh, visiting Teddy and uh, at Kiss FM. Mm. So you spend a year doing the remote uh, operations chief, and then uh, you apply for executive engineer, or were you encouraged to go for that? How did that uh, happen? And was that a was that a promotion? Was that a step up? Yeah, that that was a step up. Uh, that was a natural progression, I suppose. Uh, uh, you know, since I've been working with the engineering group and the people who uh, were doing the engineering is kind of all tied together. So that was sort of a, a natural next progression for me on, on that side of the business. I wasn't I, I did do some on air work and I had a show, um, but uh, two shows, actually. But, you know, I, my my passion wasn't to always be on air on on radio, so that's kind of was a good progression for me. Hmm. Were you uh, board operating for other people who were acting as a host, or what was what was that like? Were you combo hosting a show or anything like that? 
We did we did both. Um, it depended on the show. Uh, there were shows um, where we would have a separate engineer, and it, certainly, the, particularly the late night shows. Uh, there was a show we had um, five nights a week that was called Changes, and that was a progressive music show um, that ran from like two ten p.m. to two a.m. If I remember correctly, mm-hmm. and um, that was done combo because you know it was hard to get people to, to work those mm-hmm. hours. So the person who did the show did everything, and it was a good experience doing trying to do it all at the same time. Um, but uh, there were other shows where if we had multiple guests, or if we had if the show had guests, it was often better to have uh, a separate engineer. So then those shows or or uh, you know, higher, highly produced shows would have a separate engineer. Mm. And I guess a side or part of the job of being executive engineer, was that, was that some of the training for new board operators and engineers? Were you involved in that part? Right. Recruiting and training. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, some of it was technical in terms of reading the, uh, the, uh, um, the the numbers and getting them down every every single day they had every hour in fact they had to had to write down uh the numbers and and make sure that they were being tracked and then um you know if there were shows where there was uh, a host taking calls uh you had to handle the calls as well and uh so you know it was good to find the right people and then to to train them on all the aspects of working the equipment, of working with the various hosts and on the various shows. And as I said before, also doing all the, the scheduling. Mm. And then uh, getting people ready for the, the dreaded trip to Varick Street for their, for their license. <laughs> and the That's test, right. right. That's right. And doing, we would have classes and we would do classes, uh, prep classes for that. Uh, you know, there was a book and you'd read through the book and if uh, we were all students, so if you couldn't read through a book and remember enough to pass a test, that was a problem. Right. But uh, we would also, because some of it, you know, was uh, uh, new and and uh, some of there was a little bit of math involved in there, and and so understanding some of that took a little bit of uh, training. So yeah, we did training classes and prep classes, and then we would all do that trip down to Varick Street and get that uh, that class class three, I guess it was license. Hmm. I've heard uh, at various times that the, the licenses were posted in, in I don't know, picture frames or something like that on the wall. Was that still the case then or was there a book? How yes. Was, no, how that's the- how that's how it was done. That's right. We we uh, we were in uh, underneath the little theater. That's where the uh, studio was at the time. And if you uh, go down the steps, you just go down a long hallway to get into the uh, studio. And uh, all along that hallway would be the frames with all of the licenses in the frame and that was like a badge of honor to see mm-hmm. your frame up on the wall mm, very cool so you're involved in the sports broadcast and the, the concerts from bills meadowbrook and hempstead town hall and you're training people and then you know for your senior year i guess the next logical progression is is going for a station manager was that was that the goal all along or how did that come about well, i don't know i think it was hard to say that that was the the goal it certainly you know the people that were in the two key roles of station manager and program manager, they were, you know, the top of the top. So you always, you always kind of shoot, shoot high. And that is, you know, through my whole career, even after I've graduated my whole career, I'm always looking at, you know, what the next step is. Um, so that was the natural next step. And, you know, that was the pinnacle was to be in that position and to work, you know, alongside of at that time Jeffrey Krause. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was a, a you know it was a great honor to have an opportunity to to be in that role. Um, not to mention the fact that I, I don't know if it is today or not, but back then it was a paid position. So if you know, as a student, that was always nice to have a a paid job doing what you like to do, which is work at the radio station. So. Uh, it worked out on a number of levels. It was a great opportunity, and uh, so yeah, that was that was that's where I landed up. It's a it's it's a nice reward, especially when you when you put in all that work. It it should teach us that we're not going to make a fortune in radio, but it's nice to get paid as an undergrad. I'm sure. <laughs> that's right. That's for sure. <laughs> 
Um, so who are you working with uh, on the executive board at the time? Who's the program director, if you remember, or like program operations director? Who are the people helping you run the station? Yeah, well, the, the program direct, uh, director was uh, Steve Graziano, who was my closest friend at, at, when I was at Hofstra. Uh, so he and I working together was, was just great. Um, so he was the program director. The uh, music director was uh, Jim Delbazo, mm-hmm. who uh, had passed away, but he, uh, he was in that role and uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, I, I'm trying to remember, um, uh, Karen Matabano was, was there. I, I, she might've been the, uh, she might have been the, uh, news director. I don't remember. Mm. Um, and you know, there were a whole bunch of others and, uh, you know, all great people. And, you know, the funny thing about, you know, working at the uh, radio station was just the friendships that you made and that you kept over the years. And that is something, you know, as you look back, that is so key to, to that whole experience is it's, it's, you know, back then they didn't have, um, uh, fraternities and sororities at at Hofstra. Mm. So the closest thing for me to being involved in a fraternity was really working at the radio station. You know, we all did everything together. We we spend our Saturday nights together. We all go see um, uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show somewhere mm. uh, late at night, or or do something. But it seemed like you know we spent a lot of our time even outside of the radio station together. So that became sort of our equivalent to a fraternity or sorority. Yeah. It becomes a a little bit of a, an extension of family or a new family on, on campus. And you spend all that time together and and you have goals and ideas of what you want the, the radio station to be. Did you and Steve have ideas for what you wanted to uh, do as station manager and program director, or was it sort of, we're, we're working at the station and we're, we're doing what we need to, to keep the station on the air. Well, I, I, you know, we certainly, you know, we certainly wanted to see the station grow. I mean, you know, uh, interestingly enough, my career landed up being in, in uh, the cable television business and sales mm. and marketing. And back then, I mean, really what we were trying to do was continue to, to raise money to the, for the financial health of the station and also to find new ways to market the station and to really get grow the uh, listenership. We didn't have like ratings per se right. um, back then, although we had put up the new antenna. So our reach was, was continuing to grow, but to always get the word out. So we spent a lot of time really focused on uh, providing programs that uh, would, would draw the community in and would, would get the listenership up and get the interest up among uh, not just the students, but, you know, people throughout, you know, Long Island who could listen to the station. We didn't have um, internet radio back then. So mm-hmm. our reach was only as far as the, uh, as the antenna would, would, would take it. But, uh, you know, we wanted to see that reach grow. So that was always a focus of ours back then was to create programming that was would draw specific interest from specific groups of people and, and to, uh, you know, grow the listenership because it was fairly new as something that that was that we could have that reach. Um, it was probably in my I can't remember second or third year where we put up the. Uh, um, the antenna on top of Tower C. Mm. And uh, so that having that kind of reach was relatively new for uh, Hofstra Radio. And we wanted to see, make sure we took advantage of it. Um, I, I, I really want to hear more about putting that new antenna up. And I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who don't know much of the details or the story behind that. I, I guess first... Did that happen when you were a senior? Uh, and second question, I guess, to lead us into this, where was the transmitter previously or what was the upgrade, if you could sort of fill in the, the history for folks? Sure. We had we had an antenna and a transmitter that sat on top of the, uh, the Adams Playhouse. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, it, that antenna, you know, sat as high as the Playhouse, which is what, like three stories high, maybe. Right. And uh, uh, and it was something like a fifty watt transmitter, so it, it would get around campus. But that was about it. If if it got all the way around campus, and uh, so it was a constant fundraising effort on the part of uh, the radio station for years. Uh, the the antenna itself was donated by another radio station. Um, I can't remember the station at the time that donated it. Um, and uh, so it had sat for many years in a closet. Mm. And we didn't have the money to buy a new transmitter and to rent the crane and to get it moved on top of, uh, of what eventually it got moved on top of, which was at the time called Tower C. And um, so, so during, I would say it was probably my junior year, uh, we had finally raised the funds to do that and had received uh, the necessary uh, FCC license to increase our power from 50 watts to 500 watts. Hmm. And uh, so we had to uh, rent a crane. And I remember the day we rented the crane, it, there was snow, some snow on the ground. And I was uh, standing on top of Tower C at the time. I guess I was the executive engineer at the time. And um, we were able to, to you know, help support bringing that antenna up on top of and getting it placed on top of Tower C. And we were up there. And I was up there. I, I remember I still had a picture somewhere of myself with uh, Wayne Kurtzman mm -hmm. and the two of us were standing on top of the tower and that picture landed up in uh, Newsday. And uh, then we're looking down below and people are writing congratulations or writing WVHC, the, the call letters at the time, in the snow uh, <laughs> down you know, below while we're, we have this crane lowering this uh, uh, antenna to the top of Tower C. Uh, so it was really an exciting day. It took a little en additional engineering work, a number of weeks, before we finally uh, went live on the new uh, transmitter, cut over to the new transmitter. Um, but that was exciting. And all of a sudden, people around, uh, certainly Nassau County, uh, could now hear us where that wasn't even possible before. How amazing that must have been. It must have been such a great feeling in such a rush to see that happening in this giant crane because i i can't remember how many uh floors uh or stories tower c is but uh it's it's not insignificant it's it's kind of a a big operation to get that done yeah no i i i would guess it's something in the neighborhood of 15 stories i don't know right. yeah but uh yeah i mean it was a big crane and to get it up there and uh, they had set a base for it because it was pretty heavy and uh, there was so many, a lot of engineering work involved in getting it there and making sure it could stay, withstand the winds up there, you know, because it does get windy out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so there was a lot of engineering work involved. But uh, uh, I remember Jeffrey got the whole staff together, and you know, he's telling the you know his staff is only Jeffrey can say it how you know it's, it's a new day in the history of. The, of of uh, WVHC and, you know, how uh, we're all a part of that history. And, you know, you could hear Jeffrey as only Jeffrey could say it, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, kind of getting excited about it. I mean, look, he, he was the father of it and he, mm -hmm. he was there through all of that, including the fights with the uh, university to get permission to even put it up there. So, uh, um, yeah, so that was, it was exciting. That had to be like, if I had to guess, I would say that was 78 mm -hmm. when that happened because I was a junior in 78. I graduated in the summer, in the uh, May of 79. Mm. So, uh, yeah, it was it was an exciting time to be at the radio station. And, and what a, a culmination of effort by Jeff, and I'm sure so many more people because you mentioned raising money, getting the equipment, the new transmitter, the the crane, all the the engineering, all the things that go into this. This is this is largely Jeff's work, I imagine. And then oh, being no part question. of that as an undergrad, did this this uh, gargantuan 
task of doing this. And then it gets narrated, you know, by Jeff Krause, by that <laughs> voice. That must yeah. have been like, I, I, I'm getting the, the, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Just, just have you seen, have moment. you seen the, uh, the video of that? Not in a long time. Someone's got yeah. a copy of it. Someone sent me something and, and I, I I've got it somewhere on a, on, on a computer. Uh, I'll need to go back and watch that because now, now I'm, I, I, I definitely need to go back and see that. And if the, the listener- audio of that might be very interesting for you to, to run in a podcast because it, it was, uh, it was very interesting. All right. Well, well, we'll get on that. That's, that's the next project when, when we're done here, I'll, <laughs> I'll work on that. But uh, yeah, gosh, that's fantastic. And, and what, what a difference that's going to make for the daily broadcast. You kind of alluded to that before you're reaching so many more people uh, it's more powerful. That's, that's, that's gotta be a great feeling as a student to be able to, to step up to the next level like that. And that's exactly what, what, you know, what we saw happening at the station at the time. I mean, you know, uh, there, the, the, the station had been really focused in because, you know, not a lot of people could hear the station. Mm. So it was always focused in on, on what the, you know, for the, for the students, for the local it, you know, maybe the local Hempstead community. And that was sort of the, the focus. And then all of a sudden you had to change your focus and focus out and try to extend that. So it really kind of changed the direction a little bit of the, of the station. Mm. And uh, I, I, in working on this project, I think so much about Jeff's long-term vision and how he had to battle and scrape and and fight to to achieve the things that he wanted to do and it wasn't this isn't going to take six months it might take six years or whatever it might be and um uh that, that must have been so satisfying for him to to see that happen and, and you were front row for it yeah well in so many ways i mean look if you look at the radio station today yeah and look at what it was in the 70s and what it is today i mean you know Thanks to the effort of everybody who was involved in creating the uh, School of Communication and 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 then building that that uh, those beautiful studios and offices and and you know it's just so so different than than what we were focused on. I mean, the focus today is less so on you know survival and creating the resources. Uh, than it is the, back then, and today the, the focus is on the the work mm-hmm. and on creating the the products. So it really, you know, it, it's great that the students are 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 given the tools to focus on making sure that they they learn how to create good content and and uh, develop those skills and and to work with you know teams and to work with. Um, professional uh, uh, sports teams and to work with uh, professionals in the fields. It, it really is a completely different focus uh, today to, to the better than, than it was back then. Yeah. And um, I, 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 I always think about this because, because uh, Jeff passed when I was an undergrad, when I was the program director and in doing this project, I, I, I can make connections and see the things that he was thinking for, the next building and, and expanding the station and, and growing it. And it's just, it's such a shame that he wasn't there to see it, but, but this is such a big moment. And, and I'm, I'm so grateful for you for sharing that, uh, that part of the journey. It's, it's so cool. So interesting. Um, I, I without putting words in your mouth, this is, that's a big event. And I guess my question <laughs> is, you know, in your time at, at WVHC, is that is that the biggest event? Does that define it, or is there something else, or is there a song, an event, or or a game that that says this is what my time was at the station? So, I mean, in terms of events, I mean, you know, in, in the history of the station, that certainly was a, a major uh, uh, turning point. There's absolutely no question about that. You know, when I think you you know uh, when I thought was thinking about that question of what 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 sounds and what music reminds me of that time period? You know, one of the things that I, it's, I introduced my wife to in, in recent years was Harry Chapin. Mm. Uh, Harry Chapin, you know, came to the station a number of times uh, during the time that we were, we were there. And, and I remember actually working on the, uh, on with the TV side and working at a, um, 
uh, a fundraiser and, and running camera at a fundraiser that Harry Chapin uh, was at and was sponsoring uh, that was on cable. And, he, you know, he, he was a, just seemed to circle around a lot of, uh, of what we were doing at the station at the time. So when I hear Harry Chapin songs, that always seems to remind me back to that time. And, you know, he was from Long Island and mm. unfortunately died on the, the Long Island Expressway. But uh, mm-hmm. it was, you know, he, he, his music reminds me frequently of, of my time in, at the radio station. Mm. Is there a story that you always tell when talking about your time at Hofstra Radio? Is there something that always comes up that you love telling? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, you've heard a lot of people tell this story in different ways, and everybody tells it as if they're the ones who did it. Mm-hmm. But the story that I remember is um, Rob Wilson was the station manager um, right before uh, Steve Fendel, who was the station manager right before me. And uh, I remember when Rob Wilson was leaving as the station manager, we took his desk and put it out on the roof of the building. <laughs> and we set it up like it was a working desk with a phone and, and the time typewriter and the whole thing all set up. So when he came into the office, where was, there was nothing there where his desk was. And he looks out the window and his desk is all set up out on the roof of the building. And I remember he went out there and actually started to work. So, <laughs> so that's, that's how I remember the story. I know that other people have told that story and I've heard it told in various different ways, but that's my recollection of the story and who, who it happened to. Um, and so that's kind of always a fun story that I, I try to remember. That's um, so funny. Yeah. The other thing is that I mentioned uh, changes. Um, Changes was a, 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 rock, a progressive rock show that we had, which was basically a way of bringing you know, newer music onto the air, which eventually a lot of that music became mainstream music, very honestly. But uh, we would always put it on early, and that was uh, a lot of that had to do um, uh, you know, with Jim Del Bazo's relationships with all of the record uh, companies and we would get these new releases and then we would run them on uh, and put them on this show called changes and uh, every night had a different host and it was kind of a badge of honor when you finally had an opportunity to become host of one mm-hmm. of the nights and I was the host for Thursday night changes and um, I, it was funny I was dating a girl at the time and uh, the people in the radio station all got to know her a little bit too. And, and she, uh, we would all try to put together a, uh, uh, a, a series of songs in a set that would either have her name in it or would reflect something about her. We would create, and it was sort of became a team effort among people in the radio station to try to come up with songs for this set that we would do. So it was kind of a, you know, kind of a fun thing that we used to do. Oh, that's fun. And it's a little bit of creativity, a little bit of competition. That's fun yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. If I, if I could double back for a second, since clearly the desk on the roof thing happened more than once, I, I guess my question is eternally, what was Hofstra Public Safety doing? Or should we just not <laughs> ask that question? That someone had to notice Right. (laughs) Well, I guess they did. I don't know, but uh, nobody, you know, I guess they had bigger fish to fry than than a than a desk out on the roof. (laughs) But you know, the radio station where it was was over. um, Oh shoot, what was the building? I can't even remember the name of the building where the offices were. What Memorial Uh, Hall? Memorial Hall. That's right. And on the second floor where the office was, the the you'd open the window and there was a roof right there. So it wasn't like you had to take it over somewhere to get it on the roof. The roof was just right outside the window of of the uh, radio station offices. So and and Memorial Hall um, was an old building that had big big windows. Mm-hmm. So you could fit a whole desk right out the window. Uh, so I guess probably more than one person did it. More you know or. 
I would like to say we did it first and other people copied us. Right, sure. They'll, sure. they'll all say that, right? <laughs> um, so a follow-up question to that. Uh, who got the desk back in? Was, was it the people who did it or was it you're on your own? <laughs> we, we would always probably make ourselves scarce. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So he was still the station manager at the time. So he still, you know, he could still call on all those freshmen that wanted to get new positions to help him out <laughs> there's and i guess that's that's the hazing for the uh for the fraternity that's as, as bad as it got i guess yeah exactly your job is to help get the desk back in the front of the roof. <laughs> <laughs> imagine that conversation at the dinner table how was the radio station today oh we, we brought a desk in from the roof you know back into well, the office know. That's you got to do all the jobs there. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that, that was one of them. Oh my gosh! So, so those are stories that you always tell. Are there stories that that in thinking about this that that have come back, or or things that just rarely come up that you wouldn't mind sharing now? Well, the, you know, the the other thing is, uh, to this day, I always drink my coffee black, and and people are like, well, why do you drink your coffee black? And it's because I always remember being in the radio station at, at two, three in the morning. I mean, that's that's the thing, right? If you're if you're involved and you really care about the station, you're there at two in the morning, three in the morning. That's that's when you get your work done, or probably sometimes when I would write my papers because it was the only time I had to write the papers. So I would be there at all hours of the night, and there was a coffee machine in there, but there was never anything to put in the coffee. Right. So you kind of got used to drinking the coffee black, and I. That's when I started drinking black coffee. I probably didn't even drink coffee before that. Started drinking the coffee black, and to this day, I always drink my coffee black. So, huh. you know, thanks to the radio station for my for my coffee preferences. There you go. Um, <laughs> it, it sounds like you had a great time, and you were really involved in so many aspects uh, of the station. Was there ever a time that you thought about leaving or quitting, or you just got tired of the whole operation? No, I I can I can honestly say I I could never remember a time when I really had it. Um, I remember one time. Uh, well, a couple of things. One is that I remember that if you if you worked in the radio station in the little theater, the closest bathroom to that <laughs> radio station you've probably heard this before was across the parking lot. Where in where the provost office was, and, and the name of the building again escapes me, but it was right across the parking lot, and you had to have time to get across the parking lot, go to the bathroom, and come all the way back. So you always had to choose a song that was long enough to play at a particular point in time to get so that you had time to get across the parking lot, yeah. get to the bathroom, and then get back. And uh, so, the, you know, we would always play songs like um, Alice's Restaurant, yeah. um, In the God of the Vida, yeah. uh, yeah. or, uh, you know, uh, the long version of Stairway to Heaven, you know, things like that, that that would give us the time to do that. But I also remember one time uh, where there was a sit-in at the provost office. And I, I, to this day, I couldn't, re I can't tell you exactly what the sit-in was about, but I remember, you know, students, look, it's the 70s and students are trying to flex their muscles, trying right. to be like the students of the 60s were, I guess. And so there was a sit-in at the, at the provost's office and you had to get past the people that were sitting in to get to that bathroom. So, you know, the song, you were afraid that the song wasn't going to be long enough because they're holding you up to try to get to the bathroom and to get back. But, I, you know, those are things, those were, you know, challenges in, in those days at the radio station. But they, nobody looked at a challenge and said, you know, we're leaving or we're going to quit. Uh, it was just a challenge. Um, you know, and, and, you know, Jeffrey also had his ways about him and he could, he could, make you mad as easily as he can make you glad, you know? Right. And, uh, but that you, you kind of took that. And, and even when he made you mad, you were kind of glad that at least he talked to you. you know? <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, I, I don't remember any, any point in time saying I've had it, I'm done. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna leave it. No, they, each of the challenges was part of the excitement of being involved in the radio station. And if, and if, if you weren't into those kind of challenges, 
you weren't into the radio station, at least right. back then, because that's really, I mean, if I look at my life and I look at what one of the big takeaways I got from the radio station, it was about um, problem solving. It was about, you know, making do with what you had and making it work. Uh, you know, those things that, uh, that was what the radio station was about back then, which is it's really, today, I think it's a little bit different, uh, or at least the challenges are different. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think it's certainly a, a, a different era with, with different obstacles to achieve, but the, the sense of creative problem solving and, and investing and being part of a community. I think, I think those things are all constants, whether it was uh, Jeff's era or when Bruce Avery was running the show or now John Mullen. I think, I think there's a continuity to that. And some of that comes from, from people like you who, who have, you know, been a great influence and, and then the year to year students passing down and helping each other out. Uh, I think that's all, that's all part of the story. So. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that's different now than it was back then. Uh, you know, if I could take a second just to point sure. that out, that I, I think that today, you know, we, we've tried over in recent years to, to make that connection between the alumni and the students. You know, back then, sometimes the alumni would show up to things like the, the dinner or uh, they would, you know, wander into the studio from time to time. But it was kind of considered this, this aloof group, this not, not, peop- not approachable people, mm-hmm. you know, not people that w- were there to help me, but rather just curious more than anything else. And I, I, I feel like um, that's a shame that there wasn't a closer connection, I think, between the alumni and what the alumni had to offer to the students uh, back then. And I, and I think that, you know, that one of the reasons I stay involved in the Alumni Association is because I think that is important. And I think that's a gift that exists today that I don't think was as, as, as strong back then, at least in my recollection, it wasn't. Mm, mm. Good, good point. And, and it's, uh, I think it's been part of the mission for a long time when, uh, when Bruce Avery came on board while I was there, I remember having very definite conversations where he said, I want to, I want to get to know everybody present and past and make sure we honor the past and honor the people that have come before. So I like to think it's, it's been part of a process. And then when Sue started the alumni association and uh, I, I think it's, it's been uh, a nice team effort along the way to, to make that happen. And, and like you said, it's for the benefit of all. I think uh, those of us who aren't at the station anymore, we get uh, a nice, uh, you know, nostalgia and adrenaline going back to the station and, and, and seeing the younger generation going. And I think they get something from us too. So uh, I'm really glad you pointed that out. Thank you for, for saying that. Yeah, I think, I, I think, you know, and I, and, and if you look at, at, at today, I think that, uh, well, I, I could tell you, you know, that when I was, I, I worked in, uh, overseas for a long time and, and I was in my office, I, I, trying to remember where I was, probably in Budapest at the time. And um, I get a phone call over there from uh, Bruce. And Bruce is is telling me that, you know, he wants to create this relationship with the alumni and Mm. wants my support and trying to figure out how to, um, uh, you know, how to uh, bring the alumni together more with the students. So it was really a vision that Bruce had and, and uh, really worked hard to try to execute that. So uh, I give him a lot of credit for seeing the value in that. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think one of the, the concerns that many of us undergrads had when, when Bruce came on board was, you know, is he going to understand our relationship and, and the history of the station? And he, he clearly did. And he, he valued that as well. So um, yeah, it's nice to see that, uh, that work out and, and continue um to this day, um, I, I, I want to double back again. And, you know, the so many things that you've talked about are, are, are great accomplishments. Is there one proudest moment or biggest accomplishment from your time with WVHC? Uh, you know, I, I would say uh, I, I still have to go back to the to the antenna yeah. because I think that, I, you know, I think that was a, a really a, a, a moment. 
you know, I mean, we, we did a lot of things. We did a lot of exciting things. But, you know, when I think back and that, it always comes back to that because it was so, so big for, uh, for the station. Hmm. Um, is there a funniest event? Uh, uh, maybe it's the, it's the desk situation or is there a, a joke or, or something that, that makes you laugh or grin to this day, something that happened back at WVHC? You know, I can remember, I can remember uh, that one year and it, it had to be when I was still doing remote. So either in my freshman or sophomore year, um, when the basketball t- team made the uh, the NCAA's, mm-hmm. and uh, it may have been the regionals first, and and we went to broadcast the game, and you know, as a remote engineer, you know that you go and you show up, and there's a, a telephone line there, and you connect into the telephone line, and it takes you back to the station and so forth. Um, so we get to we get to the game. And there is no line. And this is an important game. We have to broadcast this game. We have people, you know, we have uh, the broadcast team and, and there's no line. So that's when, you, that's when you learn, another time you learn how to be creative. And we landed up stealing somebody else's phone line. <laughs> <laughs> to this day, we don't know exactly who it was because uh, nobody else said, where's my phone line? But we found, you know, um, one of the things back then is you learned how to go into the circuit board and find the, find the phone circuit and tap into the circuit. So with finding lines, we find a blank line, we tap into it and off we go. And, and we have no idea whose line it was, but, uh, you know, that's, that's using a little ingenuity and, in, uh, preventing what could have been a major screw up. Wow. Wow. Um, so again, if I, if I can ask you to get a little bit technical again, you're talking about going into the circuit board. Where, where is this in you know, the arena where you're broadcasting from? And, and are there other people around or just a, a you know, couple of college kids you know, poking at wires and things like that? What's, what does that look like to the, <laughs> to the untrained eye? To the untrained eye? Yeah. It, it, it just looks like a flat board with a lot of, you know, if you've seen the wires that, that go into a, a, a telephone, there are a lot of different pairs of those wires yeah. in in a in the group, and and some of those pairs go to other telephones. Some of them go up to, you know, to uh, offices in the arena, and uh, you just keep fiddling around in the, in those circuits. And usually, it's in a hallway near near the base near the arena floor, and until you can find something that's live, and then you run a cable from there back to to uh, your mixer and you're off to the races. So, <laughs> I mean, it wasn't, it's not, it wasn't that comp, you know, technologically complicated, but uh, when you're, when you're sitting there as a freshman or a sophomore and it's an important game. And if that game's not on the air, anybody back in uh, as, as on campus that was planning on listening to it is not going to be happy. So uh, we, we, we managed to get it on the air and, and, uh, you know, we avoided what could have been a big snafu. Yeah, and you and you covered your tracks on the way out. I'm sure. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, anyone who's been a remote engineer w- will appreciate the exact same thing because I have a feeling every remote engineer has done that at one point or another in their career. Yeah, you just you you, you hope for the best and you hope it works out and you don't get caught. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so hypothetical situation. You, you, you get a call. You know, we need you to to come in and fill at this, fill in at the station and do a show. But first question is, are you willing to do it? And the second question is, if yes, what kind of show would you want to do? If you had your pick of, uh, you know, a sports event or a music show, what would you want to do? Well, I'll give you a hypothetical, and then I'll give you an actual. Okay. On the hypothetical side. Um, Back then, I used to do a, a Jewish music show. Mm-hmm. I think they have one on the air now, or had one fairly recently on the air at uh, WRHU. But I, I did one back then, and uh, used to go down to um, to uh, the Lower East Side to get the the records. They were mm-hmm. still records, and uh, so that was a lot of fun, and I really in, enjoyed doing that because it was so unique and had a unique audience. 
so I kind of enjoyed doing that. Um, I, I like the I like doing the uh, progressive rock show, uh, you know, because it was, you sort of had a free hand. Uh, there were playlists, but you could always fill in, you know, to the playlist and do things. And I used to I used to have a a, a book of um, lists. It, mm-hmm. it was published back in the seventies. Um, and I had this book of lists and I used to always flip it open and I would, I would talk that night about one set of lists and how, the oddities of that list, you know, like the greatest, you know, uh, sportscaster of all time, the 10 greatest sportscasters or the, you know, uh, the greatest cars of the fifties or whatever, just lists. Right. And, uh, it was kind of fun and we used to do that kind of thing. So. Um, I enjoyed doing that and, and, uh, and, you know, tech, technology, I look today, could I walk into the studio today and do a show on my own? No. I mean, I absolutely, the technology is, you know, is, is pretty foreign to me today. Um, you know, there's, there's, uh, there's faders and there's buttons, a microphone. How hard could it be? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's, I don't know. There's a lot more lights and a lot more, uh, computer screens than there were back when I was there. Um, but I can give you an actual instance. Um, I lived a block off campus the last two years that I was, uh, at the station, uh, and actually a block from the radio station. And I believe it was in 77 or 78, there was a, a huge um, snowstorm, a really mm-hmm. major snowstorm, like 18, 20 inches of snow. Yeah, 78. And nobody could get, you know, anywhere, right, especially on campus. Um, and I was closest to the radio station. So I got through the snow and I got to the radio station and had to shovel my way because the little theater, the, 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 um, uh, door was downstairs and you had, it was all piled up with snow. So I had to shovel the snow to actually get to the door and, uh, got the door open and got into the radio station and I was there alone and I managed to get the station on air myself, um, got to announce to the campus that, the uh, that the school was closed, which is always a fun thing to uh-huh, announce. Sure. And then I would get the announcements from the neighboring communities about things that were closed. So I was able to announce those things. I think we might have had like an AP ticker or something that I was able to get that information from. And so I was on the air myself, um, signed on, doing all of the engineering, doing uh, all the announcing keeping the station on air, running uh, either shows or, or music or whatever. And it was my station uh-huh. until somebody else could get there. <laughs> so uh, that, was a, that was a lot of fun. And, and uh, that's something that I remember. And I, re- I remember uh, later when I left the station, walking down the streets and, and there was like no cars on the streets because nobody yeah. could get anywhere. And... Uh, that was kind of a surreal time around campus. And, you know, uh, probably even today, you know, the students would take would seal the, um, the trays from the cafeteria and were uh, going down the slopes along the, uh, uh, the towers, uh, yeah. you know. Uh, so it was, it was kind of a fun day, you know. But at the same time, I was it on there. That's, that's amazing. So uh, can, can I ask what, what, made you go down to the station at that time? Was it just a sense of obligation? Like, well, I'm close. I'm going to go down there. Or were you excited about, you know, keeping the station on the air? What, what made you go down there in that such terrible weather? Well, I, you know, I, like I said, I lived very close. I was only like a block away. I mean, literally. So I, I had lived really close. So I knew that I would be able to get there and I knew that it was going to be difficult for other people to get there. So I, I kind of, you know, it, it, it when you're working at that at the station at Hofstra Radio, it's your station. Right. You know, uh, what no matter what you do with the station, you own it. You know, uh, the successes, the failures, the uh, uh, when it's on the air, when it goes off the air. Um, so, so we all f- always felt a sense of ownership, and I knew I could get there. So I just kind of felt I should go there and see what I could do. Hmm. Um, not really thinking about what I was going to do when I got there. Uh, you know, so I get there and with the first challenge of even being able to get into 
the station. And then uh, I knew I had to get it on the air, but what I was going to say and what I was going to do kind of was fluid along the way. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, I went with it. So, um, yeah, when, when you work at the radio station, that's the thing about it. And I think everybody who works at Hofstra Radio feels the same way. You feel such a sense of ownership. Um, it, it's your station, um, you know, for better or for worse. And, and, you know, the success, you feel good about the successes. You feel disappointed about the failures and, and, uh, it, you know, becomes part of you for the time that you're there. You know, most people, when there's a giant snowstorm coming and I, I have, I have vague memories of that, of that snowstorm, uh, as, as a, as a little kid, you know, most people are like, Oh, it's a snow day. I'm staying home. I'm going to, you know, make grilled cheese sandwiches and watch TV and, and hang out. And then there's some people, yourself included, who say, no, I'm going to go out in this and I'm going to go to work and I'm going to go, you know, be the connection to the, to the rest of the world. I, I just think it's interesting that, you know, the people who are willing to do that, uh, wind up at the radio station for all kinds of events, whether it's a, uh, a weather event or a breaking news event, we're just we're pulled to it because we want to be part of that that moment. Like you said, to the ownership of of the station and and the moment. I think it's really interesting. Well, that's the glue, and and that's the glue that that brings all of these people who work at the radio station together. Is you know they come to the radio station because they think it's something special and they want to be a part of it. And if you're a part of something special, you have ownership of that Mm. and if you're if you are lucky enough to become one of the people on the executive board of of the radio station you you know you have ownership you have responsibility and you know that becomes a teaching moment for you as an individual to say look if you're going to be involved in something that's big like that you know that is important like that you you have responsibility and you have ownership and uh, that comes first. Hmm. Hmm. If you could uh, time travel for a minute or two minutes and, and go back and give yourself a piece of advice at, at 18 years old, what, what would you say? What would you, uh, you think of to pass along? Well, you know, I think one of the things, you know, um, different people look at their, look at their time in, in university differently um, I would say that academically, I, I wasn't as focused as mm. probably as some people were because I was so involved in the radio station. And uh, that became such a focus that, you know, I, I kind of put my academic second in a lot of cases. And I look back on that, especially certain courses. And I think to myself, probably wasn't the smartest thing. And, and uh, I could have probably found a better balance. Right. Um, and at the same time, I would also say that uh, I developed uh, some some uh, really great relationships and and uh, to fo- continue, you know, at, at that age to focus, you know, you, you sort of become um, you have friends, but you also sort of become focused on you and what you're doing. And I think that uh, really cherishing those relationships and, and growing you know, the people around you and the connections around you, because those, you know, those become so important in your life later on. Mm. And, uh, and I think that's what's driven me back to get involved in the uh, alumni associations, because I did have those relationships. And I do get a second chance to, to connect and to grow those relationships, because uh, a lot of those same people are involved in the alumni association. So, uh, I, th- I consider myself lucky that I had that opportunity, uh, but I think that that's something you should really cherish when you're young. And I would tell anybody to do that is to is to you know find balance and and to really you know cherish the relationships that you develop. And the last thing that is, is what I mentioned before is uh, that we didn't have the kind of access that I think that students today have with the alumni network Mm. and i think that that's so important and i don't think that uh, i think alumni should really i mean uh, uh, students should really take advantage of that those relationships because they can be helpful in development of your future but also to to just 
grow and to see what your opportunities are in terms of developing as an individual. Uh, and that comes from the, the experience of the alumni and, and, and the doors that those alumni can open for you. Hmm. So, so better work-life balance, hit the books and appreciate the relationships that you get. I think that's good advice for anybody at any time. That's, that's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I like it. Um, so you learn so much. You do so many wonderful things at the station and, and eventually you leave and go on. What were the things, what were the lessons or, or the ideas that you learned at Hofstra Radio that you brought with you into your professional career and, and your grown up life? You know, I, I think it was mostly about managing, managing projects, managing uh, uh, deadlines, managing people. Uh, all of those things you learn at, at Hofstra Radio, and you can take those into any career. Uh, not everybody who leaves Hofstra Radio goes into radio. Mm-hmm. Um, I stayed in, uh, in the communications field, but I didn't stay in radio. Um, but those experiences and that ability to, to manage is something, you know, you never have to, as, as a student in, in high school and as you go into college, you don't really have to do those things. But when you work in, at the radio station, you do. So you have to learn how to manage people, for sure. I mean, you know, that, that's, that's, that's a big thing. Mm-hmm. And, and to learn how to manage people and to learn how to get the most out of people and to learn how to get people to appreciate you as a leader um, uh, becomes very important. And that's something I've taken, you know, I've managed people for all the 40-plus years that I was in, uh, in, uh, uh, I was in uh, cable television, satellite television, uh, communications. Uh, so, uh, in those fields, I've managed people through all, through all my career. And I, I would have to say, I probably learned my first lessons on managing people Mm. right back at, at Hofstra radio. Um, and having a leadership style, you know, everybody, everybody can say, I'm going to manage people or I'm not going to manage people, but, but, you know, you have a, a, a develop a leadership style. Yeah. And uh, I think that that's where I developed my leadership style was mm. right at Hofstra Radio. And, and if I if I can add, I, I don't want to presume to know, but uh, you, you mentioned going into a, a different field where the, the cable field was not, you know, a, a giant field yet, I guess, I guess when you were getting in there. And then you said you had opportunities to work in different places. You were working overseas. So if I, if I can sort of extrapolate here, I, I, it sounds like you learned at Hofstra when then there are opportunities to be open-minded to them and to have a sense of adventure and to take some, some, I don't know, risks is the right word, but, but to, to seize the opportunities. Does that sound fair? Yeah, that's funny. It's funny you should say that. I mean, you know, now that you say that, and I think about that, that's absolutely true. Uh, in my career, I changed uh, jobs and changed companies and changed location uh, quite a number of times over my career. Uh, never afraid to move, never afraid to uh, try something different. Um, so I, I guess that, that, that I, that's where that adventure came from, was from Hofstra, from uh, the willingness to be open, to you know, not not pigeonhole yourself into one thing, into doing one thing. Some people in, in work in the radio station find something they love and they just stick with that one thing. Right. And that's great too. Uh, but for me, it was about trying different things and and uh, being involved in different things and and being willing to just go and and do them. Sounds like it worked out pretty well for you. It did. It really was. It, it, I had a great career and I was really uh, fortunate. Uh, and and it, probably because I took those leaps when I did, when I got a call from someone and said, how would you like to move to Budapest, Hungary? And I turned to my wife and said, what do you think about moving to Budapest, Hungary? Uh, that, you know, that was a big leap. And uh, we didn't really think twice about it. And we went ahead and did it. And it was a it opened great doors for us, and we spent 16 years in Europe. And wow, I wouldn't have traded that for anything. And you probably could trace that willingness back to uh, my days at Hofstra Radio. Wow did did you spend all your time there in Hungary, or did you move to other places? 
No, I, I, we were in uh, Budapest for nine years and in Luxembourg for seven years. Wow. So we went from one of the poorest countries in Europe to one of the richest countries in Europe. Uh, so that was a great experience. Wow. And, and when I talked about earlier, wishing my, I had done a better job in my academics, one of them was in languages because <laughs> I, had to, I, had to, I had to at least try to learn some of these languages. And languages is always my weakness. And probably the only course I ever got a D in in, in university was in the language. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we, we all wish we had a better facility for that. And, and you know it's going to be practical at some point, but it, it, I, I'm sure you had a good time anyway. I did. We really did. And it was a, it was a great experience. And uh, I had a great partner with my wife willing to go over and uh, share it uh, with me. So that worked out really well. We'll have to have a separate episode of uh, of your travel journeys, your your overseas work stories. I'm sure there's plenty. Talk, there's plenty of. Them. I could talk for hours about it. <laughs> oh man, I'd, I'd love to hear that. Uh, one last question: uh, Is there something that you miss the most about working at WVHC? Uh, I, I, you know, I guess, I guess it was the excitement. Hmm. You know, I. Uh, and 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 the blank working with a blank piece of paper. There's nothing more exciting than being a you know having uh, th- that experience of being able to to just decide here here's a radio station. What do you want to do with it? What do you as a team want it to be? What do you want to make of it? How do you want to do this? You know, uh, really, you felt a little bit like you had this blank piece of paper and you could just mold it into whatever you wanted it to be. So uh, that, you know, you don't get the, that kind of opportunity many times in your life. Mm. And uh, that, was, that was really uh, a unique part of being involved with Hofstra Radio. Oh, I love that. That's such a, such a great way to look at it. And I'm sure we all thought of it at, at some point or, you know, maybe not articulated it that way, but we all had that opportunity and uh, what a great experience. Oh, yeah, that's great. Jim, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for sharing your stories and, and your time and, and all your ele- efforts with the Alumni Association. It's, uh, I know it's greatly appreciated by so many of us, and uh, I'm, just, I'm just so honored you took the time to share your stories today. Thank you. Well, and thank you, Brian. I mean, what you do is great, and, and you know, this is all history that would otherwise be lost, and, and uh, I appreciate it, and I know that the Alumni Association appreciates you uh, keeping this history alive.